0: Well, it's a blessing to be here with all of you today, and it's a blessing that when I got in my car at about 6.45 this morning, it was a bit chilly. That means fall is coming, and that is my absolute, absolute favorite time of year. I love this season. But on the other hand, I have begun to describe this time of life as a season of chaos in my household um, it's kind of counterintuitive because for my kids and all kids going back to school, it, it opens up a season of, of structure and schedule and, and, and all that stuff. But as a, a parent of multiple kids, we've entered into a season of absolute and total chaos, of trying to be in multiple places at different times every single evening of the week, managing jam-packed schedules. It's a stressful time of year. And you don't just have to have kids for this to be true. Uh, I think of my son, Silas, as he's entered his senior year in high school. And he's got uh, school. He's got a part-time job. He's got varsity sports. He's got uh, college decisions to make and all that stuff. So no matter what stage of life you're in, you can find yourself in seasons of just stress and chaos and just being overwhelmed by hectic schedules. And I have to confess something to you as I've been uh, entering into this time in my life right now. I have this acute awareness that I'm on the cusp of something very spiritually dangerous in my life. Because I'm going into this season of added stress and being stretched, and I'm doing it without peace. I just I have this feeling of a lack of peace, peace of mind, peace in my heart, peace in my soul. And I I felt God laying it on my heart to talk about this because I know that I'm not alone in feeling this way. I've spoken to others who are feeling the same thing. And, And what concerns me about it for myself and for others is when we get like this, when we enter into seasons of life like this, one of the first things to suffer is our walk with God. We have this tendency to get our priorities all mixed up, where we focus on all the things on our calendar and our to-do list and, and all the stuff that we have to go and be and do, and then we decide that, okay, God, I'll come back to you later when we get going that way. There's a verse of Scripture that's been resonating with me lately, and I'll be honest, God has used it to, to be an immense source of conviction in my life, but it's become also an immense source of encouragement and inspiration. It's Isaiah 26.3 says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. This verse has revealed a very sobering truth that if I'm not experiencing peace in my life, chances are pretty high that I've taken my mind off of God, that I've put my focus on something else. It's it's a warning, I think, to avoid a preoccupied mind. Anyone else's mind gets preoccupied easily? It's a mess up here. My mind just goes all the time, all the time, all the time. Ask my wife, I can't sit still, I can't stay still. It's just, I'm constantly thinking of one thing and the next thing, I can't focus on any one thing for too long before I'm thinking of something else. I got in trouble all the time when I was in school. I'm amazed I haven't gotten fired from crosswinds. But that's just how my mind works, and, and I... I think this verse is is saying, keep your mind focused on me. The alternative is a preoccupied mind, which is a mind that shifts away from God. And we have this promise in Scripture that if our minds are focused on God, then he will not just keep us in peace, he will keep us in perfect peace. And it's only through focusing on God that we can truly trust in God. And it's when we're trusting in God that we can experience peace no matter the circumstances. This verse is a very beautiful circle of of focusing on God, experiencing peace, trusting in God, experiencing peace, no matter the circumstances. Jesus, he echoes this amazing promise in John 14, 27. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. When Jesus shared this with his disciples, he was preparing them for what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem. And he was preparing them for the reality that he was going to be leaving them. He was going to be departing them. And it wasn't going to be some, you know, I'm packing my bags, let me say goodbye. It wasn't going to be that one day the disciples wake up and he would be gone. It was going to be a very violent, turbulent departure his death on the cross. And I think he's saying to them, listen, by the world's standards, you're getting ready to enter into a season of turmoil, stress, and fear. But if you keep your mind focused on me and trust me, you will experience a peace that transcends any circumstance in life. Now it's important as as we... Think about this peace that these scriptures speak about to know that it's, it's not merely a peace that means the absence of conflict or trouble in our life because that'll never happen. We'll never experience a season of life on this side of heaven that has, there's not the opportunity for conflict or trouble. We'll face it every day, sometimes multiple times a day. But the peace that is here is, is shalom. It's a peace that is characterized by wholeness, by spiritual health, by mental and emotional preservation it's a holistic complete completeness. As I've said, it's a peace that is not dependent on any circumstances. And when I consider this and, and reflect on the season of life that I'm currently in, I think what God is telling me is guard against a preoccupied mind because when you lose focus on me, you're going to lose peace and you are going to stop walking with me and start walking all kinds of other ways. But he's telling me also that I can be at peace if I keep my mind focused on him. And when I'm experiencing the absence of peace, then it's because I've taken my mind off of God. And again, I don't think I'm alone in this. I know that uh, this peace exists. I know that that it's lacking in my life right now, and I know that I desperately, desperately want it. And I'm sure others feel the same way. Am Am I just talking to myself this morning, or is there anyone else that's relating to this right now? Sounds like I'm talking to myself, okay. That's all right. Well, how can we experience this peace? Not just merely experience, though, but actually live it. Have, it, have it just permeate every fiber of our being. How can we walk in it, exist in it, live in it, be it? How can we have this peace? Well, thankfully, Jesus offers us some practical instruction on how to do just that, and I think it comes down simply to what we focus on comes down simply to what we focus on. We're going to be unpacking almost the entirety of Matthew chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you have your Bible apps, you can open up to that chapter of Scripture right now. But in this chapter, we're going to see a series of interactions and conversations that Jesus has with his disciples. And it's through what Jesus says to them, his response to some of the things they say and do, that I think he teaches us how we can have uh, this piece that Scripture talks about. What we see in the disciples in this chapter is this roller coaster ride. They're on this emotional and mental roller coaster where they're kind of getting things right, then they're getting things wrong, then they're back up and getting things right again, then they're back down and getting things wrong again. And when I read this chapter of Scripture, my first instinct is to be really frustrated. It's a frustrating passage of Scripture. I get frustrated for Jesus. <laughs> That this is who he had to deal with. These are the people he had to interact with because the disciples, they come off as really thick-headed, stubborn people in this chapter. And then I'm reminded that more often than not, I'm more like the disciples than I am like Jesus. And I think, how often is Jesus frustrated with me? How often is he frustrated with me? But what Jesus tells his disciples during these interactions reveals some powerful truths that we can cling to and live by. And if we do that, I think it's going to help us avoid that preoccupied mind that where we focus on all the distractions that the world throws at us instead of focusing on God. But if we cling to these truths, we can can overcome that. So we're going to start with Matthew 16, verses 5 through 12, but I'm going to invite us all to bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's go to God in prayer before the reading of his word this morning. Lord God, we thank you so much for today, for bringing us safely into it. And God, we thank you for who you are and for what you do in our lives, and we thank you for your holy scripture that we have such easy access to it each and every day. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would open up our hearts, our minds, our eyes, and our ears to the truth that you have for us today. We love you and give you praise. We pray this humbly in your name. Amen. All right, Matthew 16, verses 5 through 12. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, "'Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees.' And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, "'We brought no bread.' But Jesus, aware of this, said, "'Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves "'the fact that you have no bread? "'Do you not perceive, do you not remember the five loaves "'for the five thousand and how many baskets you gathered? "'Or the seven loaves for the four thousand "'and how many baskets you gathered? "'How is it that you fail to understand "'that I did not speak about bread?' Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So a little bit of background here. Jesus and the disciples have begun really a traveling ministry. They're, They're constantly on the move. They're not staying in any one place for too long. And what they're doing is they're making their way towards Jerusalem. And for Jesus, it's a very specific reason they're doing that. It's in Jerusalem that he's going to bring his ministry to an end through his death and resurrection. And as they're making their way, Jesus is using this as an opportunity to not merely heal people and teach the large gatherings, but he's using it as an opportunity to teach and prepare his disciples for their role in carrying on his mission after he's gone of establishing God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And so, in verse five, when it says they've come to the other side, it simply means that they've come to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and they've departed the boat, and now they're, they're making their way inland to, to continue on in their teaching, and in verses five through seven, we see something happen here I don't know what what led Jesus to, to discern that the disciples were thinking about bread, maybe they were getting hungry. I know I can tell what time of day it is by the way, my stomach feels if I'm starting to feel hungry, I know it's almost twelve, and then you know so on and so on so the disciples are feeling that hunger and they have this realization they forgot bread. And it's in this setting that Jesus makes this interesting remark. He says, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they were the leading religious groups of the day among the Jews, and they were actually rival groups, one group being very traditional, another group being very contemporary in their thinking, and they were rivals until Jesus came on the scene. And they united under this common cause and set aside their rivalry and joined together in trying to put a stop to Jesus and the movement that was growing around Him. And so they began to teach all these things to sway people away from Jesus. And actually, they had a long history of misteaching God's word and creating all these things that believers were to do to, to be right with God. And they had actually made it almost impossible to live right with God through all the ways that they corrupted the teaching of God. And this is what Jesus is referring to. And he uses the analogy of leaven. He says, beware the leaven, of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Leaven is something you put in dough to make it rise and everything like that. Now for the Jews, for his disciples that heard that, their minds would have gone to probably the Passover feast in which Jews avoided leaven because it represented their time in Egypt and it represented the corruption that existed there. And over generations, leaven came to represent sin. But here's something that's interesting that's, that's happening to the disciples they are so preoccupied in their minds with worrying about food that they only heard half of what Jesus said. How often, I think, does that happen to us? When we're, we're so preoccupied, we miss out on so much that God has for us or so much that God wants to teach us. And so the disciples, all they heard is, beware the leaven, and they're thinking, oh, okay, well, when we get to the market, we won't buy leavened bread. We'll find a stall that sells unleavened bread, and Jesus Oh, he's frustrated. We can see in verses 8 through 12, this invokes a pretty harsh response from Jesus. We actually get to see an angry side of Jesus. To be clear, Jesus never sinned, but that doesn't mean he never got angry. He mastered righteous anger. And we tend to focus on the the meek, uh, sacrificial servant side of Jesus that we often overlook the fact that he was pretty stern sometimes and some of his greatest teachings for us came in those moments. And this is one of those moments. His response to them is pretty harsh. It's a a harsh rebuke. But one thing in particular he says really stands out to me. He says, do you not remember? Do you not remember this is a phrase that God has uttered to his people countless times throughout Scripture. What we focus on, I think, is what we remember, and we tend to forget what we don't focus on. And so God knew that. And the very first commandment is what? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. God's saying, You're going to lose your focus and try and raise up these other gods. Don't do that. Remember me. The fourth commandment is what? Remember the Sabbath. God knew we'd forget. We would forget. 15 times, over 15 times in the book of Deuteronomy, it's recorded, God pleading with his people, remember me. Remember the Lord your God. Remember all that I've done for you. Remember how I brought you out of Egypt. Remember how I parted the Red Sea for you. Throughout history, God has had to implore us to remember. And here Jesus does the same thing. He says to the disciples, do you not remember just Days prior, this isn't like years ago, this is just days ago, Jesus said how we fed thousands of people with just a handful of loaves of bread and so much bread was left over. And do you not remember how just a few days after that we fed another thousands and thousands of people with a few loaves of bread and had so much bread left over. And here you are, worrying about a loaf of bread for lunch. Come on, Jesus says. Come on. So what can we learn from this interaction? What can we learn from this about how to avoid that preoccupied mind in which we lose focus on God? I think what Jesus is is teaching them and teaching us is we need to focus on what God has done. We need to focus on what God has done. What we focus on is what we remember. We tend to forget what we stop focusing on. And far too often, we take our focus off of God. I'm reminded of the scripture that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see the Lord is good. That verse tells us that all around us, every single day, there are opportunities to see what the Lord has done, to see how good the Lord is, to remember what he has done. So how can we do that? What's a practical way that we can consistently, daily, remember what God has done? Well, one thing I think we can do is tell people about what God has done. We can tell people. Simply that, just tell people. I have two really close friends that they live out of state, but we stay in touch pretty regularly, and neither one of them are walking with God. And I'm, I try to be intentional. Whenever we, we talk on the phone or text and we're catching up on things, if I tell them something good that happened in my life, I make sure I give God the credit for that good thing. And if I'm telling them about something bad that happened in my life, I make sure I tell them God's going to get me through it. And I have two reasons for doing that. One, number one, I hope that it points their heart and mind towards God. But two, it just keeps me focused on God. It makes actually, it, it's encouraging to me to tell them about God. So I know that approaching a stranger and telling them about God, nine times out of 10, this can be weird. But don't think about telling a stranger. If the opportunity presents itself, do it. But think of someone close to you that you can tell them about God. Tell your spouse, even if they're already a believer, that's fine. Tell your spouse anyway. Tell your kids. Tell your coworkers. This amazing thing happened to me. Praise God for that. That's a way to remember and focus on what God has done. So how can we overcome a preoccupied mind that keeps us from experiencing peace? Is remember what God has done. Focus on what God has done. Let's keep going. Matthew 16, 13 through 20. Says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. They're not focused on their hungry stomachs anymore, and they arrive in Caesarea Philippi. Now, this was a city in which the the full splendor and power of the Roman Empire would have been clearly on display. Specifically, there was a temple, a massive temple, built in honor of the Roman Emperor Caesar Augustus. Now, Caesar Augustus was probably the most powerful and renowned of all the Roman emperors, and he was revered by Romans as a son of a god. In fact, all Roman emperors were believed to be divinely born and divinely appointed as emperors. And in Rome, to to speak that there was the possibility that there was someone greater than an emperor was to suggest uh, it was blasphemy and it was actually punishable by death. And it is in this setting, with all that reminder of the Roman Empire around them, that Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And it's in this setting that, you know, we, we we just left the disciples where they were down here on their roller coaster, and now they're up here. And Peter, he hits the nail on the head with his answer. It's in this unmistakable setting that Peter boldly confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He boldly confesses that. And in verses 17 through 20, where, where prior, Jesus was clearly frustrated with his disciples, it's obvious now that that Jesus was so happy and filled with joy at Peter's response. And he began to lavish praise upon Peter and tell Peter all that he had planned for him. And isn't that just how Jesus is with us? When we kind of go off the path, Jesus is right there to sternly bring us back, say, come on, what's wrong with you? Get back over here. And when we are walking inside with God, he's right there as our biggest fan, our biggest supporter. And that's what we see Jesus doing here. So what can we learn from this conversation? What can we learn about overcoming a preoccupied mind that that keeps our focus off God and causes us to lose peace? I think what what we learn here through Jesus' question and his response is that we are to focus on who God is. Focus on who God is. Peter wasn't focused on where they were. He wasn't focused on any external worldly influences. He was strictly focused on Jesus and who he was and he made that bold confession. And it's interesting, Peter, if you know anything about Peter and his response to potential harm, he had a tendency to avoid those circumstances to the point where he even denied knowing Jesus three times to keep himself safe. But he didn't care about that in this moment. He didn't care if a some Roman official might have overheard him make that confession and hauled him off to jail. He boldly proclaimed who God was. And it was when Peter had that focus that Jesus revealed some monumental plans for him. Jesus tells Peter that, well done, well done, Peter. Well done, you are the rock in which I am going to build my church. This is huge because it's the first time that Jesus even talks about the church. It's the very first time the Greek word ecclesia was used in the New Testament. It's the first time Jesus began to reveal his plans for establishing a church after his ascension. When we are focused on who God is, we can see not only what God has done, but what God wants to continue to do in and through us. We see that here with Peter. Focusing on who God is protects us from a preoccupied mind that cares more about worldly influences than God's great influence. So how can we do that? How can we do that? How do we focus on who God is? It's simple. It's right here. This is how we focus on who God is. We spend time in God's word. We spend time in God's word. Not just merely like a verse of the day or anything like that, but we need to be rooted in scripture. We need to spend time in God's word. Because when I read this, this tells me that God's my creator. It tells me that God's my savior. It tells me that God's my refuge. He's my strength. He's my shield. He's my healer. He's my protector. He's my provider. That's who God is. And I only know that through this. The best way we can know that most consistently is through spending time in God's word. Not once a week on a Sunday. Not once every other week at a small group. Or at one, one, one-to-one discipleship if you're doing any of that. But each and every day. Each and every day. So how can we overcome a preoccupied mind that keeps us from experiencing peace? Remember what God has done. And remember who God is. Focus on what God has done focus on who God is. Let's keep going. Matthew 16:21 through 26. It says, "From that time on Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised." And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, "Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you." But he turned and said to Peter, "Get behind me, Satan." You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then he told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So now that Jesus has begun teaching about establishing the church, he begins to teach about the necessity in more detail than ever before about him needing to suffer and die in Jerusalem. And he goes into detail. He says, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be falsely tried. I'm going to be uh, beaten. I'm going to be hung on a cross, and I'm going to die. But he doesn't stop there. He says what? And I'll be raised again in three days. Peter's response to this is pretty revealing. Remember the roller coaster ride of the disciples. They started here, they ended up here, and now they're way back down here again. Just when Peter seemed to have it all figured out, he falls flat on his face with a big old foot in his mouth. His response to Jesus teaching him that is to actually stand up in front of him and say, You're wrong. I don't know. Maybe he's riding high from Jesus just saying, Hey, you're the rock I'm gonna build this church on, and he's puffed up with pride and thinking, okay, I got this, I'm figured it out, I'm the rock. He stands before Jesus and says, no, that will never happen. What you just said needs to happen, Christ, the son of the living God, is not what's going to happen. (laughs) That's pretty bold. And he gets it so wrong. And then we see Jesus' response. I think this is the harshest response to anything we ever see from Jesus recorded in the Gospels. He says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He calls Peter Satan. I can't imagine what that must have felt like. And then he says to him, you're a hindrance to me. He says, you're literally standing in the way. You are preventing me from doing what God has sent me to do. That's so harsh. But what is, why is Peter responding that way? What, what invokes that response in Peter? I think Peter took his mind off of God. He became preoccupied with this whole idea of suffering and pain and discomfort and he went to that natural inclination that we all have to avoid that whenever we can. And he stood in front of Jesus. And he said, no way, no way. That can never happen. And he's so preoccupied that, again, he only heard part of what Jesus was saying. He missed out on Jesus saying, I'm going to go through all that, but I will be raised again in three days. He totally missed that. He totally, totally missed it. He couldn't even see that amazing truth. But then Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, you're a hindrance to me. He says, says, listen, if you're going to be my follower, anyone's going to follow me, they're going to have to take up their cross. They're going to have to carry their own cross. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying, you know what? I'm going to suffer for you, and guess what? You're going to suffer as my followers. This is a hard truth to hear. This is a hard truth to hear. This is a a rubber meets the road type of teaching. This is a a moment where we have to decide, are we really going to follow Christ or not? Because if we're going to follow Christ, it's not going to be all easy and simple. It's going to be tough sometimes. We're going to experience pain and discomfort and suffering. We're going to have to carry our cross. That's an interesting picture that Jesus painted for them because he knew that he was going to be carrying a literal cross. What did Jesus have to do after he's beaten, after he's weakened and bloody and everything, what does he have to do? He literally has to carry this massive hunk of wood on his back up a hill with the knowledge that once he gets there with that hunk of wood, he's going to be nailed to that very hunk of wood and hang there for six hours, slowly, painfully, excruciatingly dying. And Jesus says, you're going to have to carry your own cross as my followers. Thankfully, I'm not going to have to carry a physical cross but I'm going to have to carry something with me. And it, it, Peter's response is revealing, and we tend to respond the same way. We, we, we want to avoid suffering as much as we can, and, and, and we think that if we're following Christ, then everything should just go the way we want it to, and when it doesn't, we tend to take our focus off of God. And we're dealing with the world, the world teaching us, not just to avoid suffering, but the world actually says, anything that even makes you slightly uncomfortable Just stay away from that. Just avoid that. (laughs) But that's not what following God is all about. The reality is, we bring so much suffering on ourselves when we allow our minds to get preoccupied with taking matters into our own hands and trying to figure out ways to do things better than God can do them. So, what can we do to stop that? What can we glean from what Jesus tells us here? to to overcome that preoccupied mind that leads us away from God. It's simple. We focus on God's will. Let us focus on God's will. It was God's will to send his one and only son, to die for our sins, to, to make us right with God. That was the only way to do it. And Peter, so preoccupied with thinking about avoiding suffering that he tried to stand in the way of God himself from doing that. He tried to derail that whole plan. And we do that. How often do we do that in our own way? By trying to take matters in our own hands, by saying to God, I know better than you do. I'm going to do this my way. I can tell you with 100% certainty that whenever I think I know better than God and my will is better than His, I'm 100% wrong 100% of the time. And I screw it up 100% worse than it ever could have possibly gone with God. When we allow our minds to get so preoccupied with our own will, instead of God's perfect will, then his peace, his perfect peace, departs us. We need to focus on God's will. How do we do that? How can we stay focused on God's will? It's simple. Prayer. Prayer. Prayer connects us to God in deep, intimate ways, and it puts us in tune with his will with his desires for our life, with the path he wants us to go down. It connects us to his indwelling Holy Spirit that is our guide and our helper. Prayer, prayer connects us to God's will. So how can we overcome a preoccupied mind that keeps us from experiencing peace and takes our mind off of God? We must remember what God has done. Focus on what God has done. And one way we can do that is by telling others about what God has done for us. We can focus on who God is, remember who God is. How can we do that? We spend time in his word. We read about who he is right here. And then lastly, we focus on his will. How can we do that? We talk to God. We take everything to God in prayer. There's a a well-known ancient Jewish greeting as I was just researching peace and all that stuff. It's Shalom Aleikim. And, and the common response back is Alaikum Shalom. So Shalom Alaikum is peace be upon you, and Alaikum Shalom is upon you peace. But as I was researching this, there's actually another ancient response to that among the Jews that's not widely used anymore. But if someone said to you, Alaikum, or Shalom Alaikum, I'm not going to attempt the Hebrew on this, but you could respond by saying, What is your peace? If someone says, Peace be upon you, you could respond, What is your peace? I want to close with that question. We're going to close with that question. What is your peace? What is your peace in the midst of your chaotic circumstances, whatever they may be? Maybe you're thinking, I'm not in any sort of chaotic circumstances. Just wait. Just wait. What's going to be your peace in the midst of those chaotic circumstances? Bottom line, it's in the midst of chaotic, hectic circumstances that we are most stressed and, stretched. and when we are stressed and stretched is when our minds are most likely to become preoccupied and focus on all the worldly distractions that are out there instead of on God. Instead, we must and we can remember what God has done, remember who He is, and remember what His perfect will is, and focusing on that will lead to God's perfect peace. Now, the first step anyone can take to experiencing that peace is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you're sitting here today or you're watching online and you have not invited Christ into your hearts, don't wait another minute. Don't go through life without him. All you have to do is say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you and I want you in my life. And he'll respond and you'll begin that journey. Dave's gonna make his way back on stage and he's gonna close that out with a short little song. But as he does that, i want to invite all of us to end this time quietly focused on God. So I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Forget what, who's sitting beside you, who's sitting beside, behind you. Forget what you're doing after church. Forget about lunch. Forget about all those things. And just have a quiet one-on-one moment with God. And use this time as prayerfully in your hearts to meditate on what God has done in your life This week, not not years ago only, but even this week, even today, what has God done for you? Meditate on who God is, your creator, your savior, your Lord, and then meditate on his perfect will. Something you can quietly say in your hearts is, God, you have been so good to me. You are my savior and Lord. May your will be done, not mine. I'm gonna pray while you remain just in that quiet moment and then Dave's gonna quietly play just for a few more seconds after that. Focus on God. Focus on God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God Almighty, I thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for me in my life. You saved me, Lord, from sin. You, You brought me from rock bottom, Lord. You placed me on the mountain. I know that there's so many people here, God, who could say the same thing. Thank you, God, for what you've done. We thank you for who you are, Lord, our, our Savior, our rescuer, our healer, our rock, the Alpha and the Omega. But God, it's just, it's mind-blowing to think that you're all those things, to each one of us individually, but you're also the creator of the whole universe. Use the earth as your footstool. You are massive, but you're right there with us. Thank you, God, for who you are. And then, Lord, I thank you for your perfect will. I pray that I would surrender myself to your will. Surrender myself to you as a living sacrifice, God, and I pray that for everyone here, that we would all surrender ourselves to your perfect will. That we could walk in step with you and experience the fullness of life that you want for us. For those, Lord, who have not accepted you, have not invited you in, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. And Lord, as our Savior and Lord, you will lead us into perfect peace if we put our trust in you and keep our focus on you. We commit to doing that today, God. We pray all this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.